Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks. This is Hal. I'm the founder of Den Meditation, and I'm here with Gal Sassan today. He's a teacher of astrology, mythology, mysticism, Kabbalism, and so much more. W Magazine actually named him the best astrologer in Los Angeles. He teaches all around the world, and I'm so excited to have caught him while he's still actually here. His first book, A Wish Can Change Your Life, was endorsed by the Dalai Lama himself and translated into eight languages. He's a brilliant man who came from a world of academics, but he was always on the search for what everything means. We talk about past lives and how understanding where have you been can actually explain why some of us are having a harder time here than others. Interestingly, though, even with all the astrology, he thinks the meaning of a name carries a lot of weight. So he says you should look to your name first to understand your purpose and who you are. Guess what? There's also a shadow side to everyone's name, so we talk about that too. Now, don't worry. We obviously get into some good stuff about astrology. He lets us know what we have to look out for in 2019, but what honestly really blew my mind, we dig into the charts of certain countries and why some have proclivity towards war than others. I mean, that part was insane. He is incredible, and the good news is he's coming back to the den. So if you like what you hear, make sure you sign up quickly for his workshops, A Past Life Regression on November 1st. And then on November 3rd, a longer event diving into the mythology of gender roles. His workshops always fill up, by the way, so this will hopefully give you a head start for reserving your space. Anyway, there's some really cool stuff in this episode, and you're definitely going to want to get your chart read. But more importantly, you're going to fall in love with the idea that you do have purpose. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, so I'm sitting here with Gal Sassan, and I'm so excited because he's integral to the den. You probably don't realize this. He was one of the first workshops we ever did because I went to him to get my chart read before the den even launched to just be like, am I a crazy person or what? And he's like, no, whatever. He's so blunt, which I love. He's like, whatever, it's in your chart. You can do whatever you want. So just do it. (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, And at the end, he flippantly was like, and you know what, if you do open it and you do decide to do it and you need help and you want me to do something, let me know. So sure enough, like I followed up with you and you came we opened February 1st, I think by February 8th or 14th, you were doing a workshop and it was packed. And I remember being like, oh shit, can we handle this? Cause like we were brand new. It was like only me working there. I'm running around setting up like 80 chairs. Um, but you're so part of who we are. And I know you come and you do something at least once a year, if not twice a year mm-hmm. with us, you're 
everyone's always so excited. And I just owe you a huge thank you. So I'm going to no, do that now. You. No, I mean, because you're just amazing at what you do. So to have you as part of the dentist huge. So now I get to pick your brain and everybody gets to hear kind of maybe a personal side of you. Um, so let's talk about how did you, I mean, you're an Israeli, you're kind of like this macho guy. It's like, how did you come into like astrology? Like how did it even start? It's like astrology, Kabbalism, mythology. I mean, everything. How did you even find that from your upbringing? No, my upbringing didn't uh, help me find it so much. Actually, <laughs> I think that because I grew up in a very, it was very common in Israel at that time that most families were very secular, very academical. And I grew up in a family that everything was the academy. My sister is a professor. She studied at MIT. My brother has two degrees. Um, so everything was about logic. And I think that it did shape my mind in a very logical way. I actually studied psychology. But um, th I always had this feeling that there is something beyond because I had very, very vivid, strong dreams that actually manifested. I even heard voices that I had to keep sometimes silent, you know, not crazy things, go kill this person or go that person, but it's more <laughs> like certain signs, certain directions that were kind of interesting and How a lot of imagination. How old were you when like, the dreams started and the voices started? The dreams I remember very strong. I mean, dreams that I remember were from the age of five, six. I also remember my first memory was with my sister. She's a year and a half older than me and she's a Scorpio. And we were in Canada, in Vancouver. My parents were there for like um, a week, um, a year. And I looked outside of the window. It was snowing. And I was telling my sister. And I remember, I had to be three, three, three and a half, because at four, we were already back in Israel. And I told her, and I remember that thought, not even the word so much. Um, everything is always the same. We get up in the morning. We eat. We go to sleep. We get up in the morning. We eat. We go to sleep. And how old were you? I was like three and a half. Wow. So that was my first really vivid memory of, first of all, cycles. Everything is cyclical. But also what later on in the Bible you can read, vanity of vanity, everything is vanity and striving after wind. It's like everything is cyclical, yes, but everything is kind of boring. You know, everything is like the same. So that, was, that began a, a quest for myself to understand cycles, but also understand the meaning behind cycles. Because if it's only cycles... It's terrible. But if there's a meaning behind the cycles, then we can work and grow with these cycles, you know. But so, that's so interesting, though. So at three and a half, you already had this quest, even though yeah. you didn't understand, I'm guessing. That's why, you know, if uh, we talk about it a lot here, especially when we do the workshop on uh, past lifetime regression, that kids between two to six, according to research, is the time that children uh, experience the most amount of uh, spontaneous past lifetime regressions, meaning that they're very, tap they're, they're very connected to talents professions and things that they have accumulated from past life, including languages. It's no wonder that psychologists tell us that if you study a language between, you know, up until the age of four or five, you have no accent because you pick it up. But right. what they forget to tell us, you don't have accent because you remember that language from a past life. So how, and just because I do want to get back to you, but how in your mind, how many past lives do people, people have? have? I think it depends. People say, oh, my husband is a new soul. Because they don't like the way they treat them. <laughs> uh, there are no new He's souls. A neophyte, right? You know, new souls. What are souls? The way I see souls is if the way I see God is oneness. Like Spinoza talked about this uh, panentheism. Everything is God. So if you think about everything as being God, I think a, a soul is a thought of God. You know, uh, so there is no new thought of God just manifested as a person. It takes us time to be a human. You have to earn your humanhood. So there are new souls, meaning yeah, people that feel. as hard as it feel, can be, it is a privilege. It is a privilege. And it is, it's, it's like going doing your PhD. It's hard. It's a privilege. 
And you can't do your PhD without having your master's or your BA or finish high school. So even new, new souls, what we call new souls, are just people that might have just immigrated to Earth, but they might have been aliens or other, you know, other dimension. They have reincarnated before. So you can have thousands, you know, you can have tens of thousands. It depends how good you are as, as learning. If you're learning good, then you're not don't need so many lifetimes. If you're repeating what they call karma, your patterns again and again and again, you need to come again and again and again until you get it. Now, why do you think, and it's funny we're jumping as well because I do really want to get back to you and your journey, but it, like when you say it that way, it almost feels like souls themselves have its own identity, like are soul, some souls slower at learning things? And why would that be? I don't know if there is souls that are slower in learning. The same thing, there's people, I mean, I don't know if souls have ego, like we have egos, but maybe souls have colors or frequencies. You know, in Kabbalah, for example, they say that your soul might come from a broken vessel of one of the 10 vessels of the tree of life, or those that blew up, it's like more like seven, six. So you might have your soul from mercy. And that's why lifetime after lifetime, you are a creature of mercy trying to really put together mercy. Uh, you may be my um, past lives or my, my uh, uh, tikkun or what they call this the, the, the fragment is from a vessel or a container called severity. It's red. It's different energy. So my job is to liberate people and to protect people. You know, so it's not like my soul has a problem with compassion. It's more focused on protection. It's not like you have a problem with severity. You're more focused on mercy. So it's a way to see it. I don't know if like uh, it's no, a documentary here. No, but that's really interesting because it would make you understand, like we were saying in a weird way, there is an identity without mm -hmm. identity. So why certain aspects could be harder to learn because to learn. it's just not the frequency. It's an inclination. You know, it's almost as if when you uh, speak English, maybe sometimes it's hard for you to say the uh, carro because of the double R, you know, in Spanish, because you speak English and you always say rah, 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 rah. And you don't know how to say, you know what I mean? So the same thing with your soul. You might be used to a certain frequency and another frequency might be a little bit alien, but we still could fix your speech and make you say the, you know, the, right. the so perro, right? So eventually you're going to be able to say carro. It just yeah. might take you longer than other people. Precisely. And it might sound a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly I had yeah. a past life. Um, so that going back to that though, because you were saying with kids that like they pick up languages faster because chances are what you're saying is chances are... You've spoken a lot of languages because or you heard probably, yeah, or heard, you probably had a lot in your past lives and you've yeah. been a lot more than people realize. For example, one of my recommendations for people to tap into gifts from past lives is to learn a language. Uh, that's one of the exercises we do here. We basically, I've noticed with a lot of my clients and even myself, when you learn a new language as an adult, especially, a lot of the talents that you had when you spoke that language are downloaded to you with that. Because your brain almost has some kind of an association between that language and that skill. So let's say you're starting to learn French now because you think it's really sexy. The next thing you know is because you made amazing souffles and you were a cook in France, suddenly you have this urge, regardless of the French, to take classes in cooking and you're baking much better. And people are starting to give you compliments about your cakes. And the next thing you know, you're tapping into a new talent, even a new career. To me, it happened with Spanish. I came to Mexico oh. after I studied psychology and I've realized that my path to go to do, to be a psychologist were blocked because they didn't want to give me a recommendation to go to master's. I had all the marks. I had all the, everything except the recommendation in Haifa. Israel? Yeah, Haifa. And the reason why they told me that I have a problem with reality, meaning, <laughs> meaning that the way, and he told me, I remember the guy that was supposed to give me the okay for the recommendation told me, listen, you're too creative to study psychology here. 
because we are very cognitive and very psychoanalysis and it's very kind of you're going to either be a problem to the system or we're going to squash your creativity so oh. that's why i don't want you to be here i i took it really personally i took it as a rejection but a lot of time that's what we do we look at being fired or having a disease as a problem not realizing that it's actually a junction an opportunity to do something much better which is what happened to me suddenly i found myself in mexico because my name in hebrew means gal which is a wave so my friend suggested we should go surfing, and I said, okay, I'll go with you surf because that's how I can understand what waves are all about. So we went there. I stayed there for two, three weeks surfing, but I suddenly found myself in Guadalajara about to fly someplace because that's the only international airport at that time around. And there, certain things happened. I was supposed to be there five days. I ended up being there two years, and I created a rock band somehow. Don't What's know the name of the rock band? Uh, Sirius, the Sirius. planet. The, the star Sirius, yeah, the dog star. Uh, that was before astrology. And then there, certain things happened and I found myself in a group that is learning Kabbalah and astrology. Uh, by the way, I'm getting chills as you're saying this story because it's funny, even though you're like, yeah, we named the band that, but it was before. It's like there were all these little droplets. There's always signs. That's yeah. what I followed. I, even the name, I really believe in the power of the name. I think we did that class one time here. If not, we'll do it soon. That your name and the meaning of your name is really your direction. And that's coming from very old concept of all traditions that whatever you name is the story of whatever it contains, whether it's a business, whether it's a pet, or whether it's a child, or whether it's you. So I always recommend to people to Google what their name mean. And that is more important even than numerology. It's basically your story. you know. And I knew that my story being Gal, which is a wave, is to understand waves. I thought it was only waves in the ocean, but then I realized waves come in many different forms. I actually looked at the definition of a wave in Wikipedia, and it's a a disturbance of energy that travels in space and time, and it's precisely what I do. Yeah, I don't come there, oh, let's hug together, and I don't have that kind of vibe of let's hug yep. and let's kiss and we are very spiritual and all that. That doesn't work for me. You know, I disturb I, people. I know, that's why I love you. I mean, I kind of was saying that in the beginning, it's you are a little bit antithetical that way, what mm -hmm. you would expect from like a traditional like astrologer. And I love that. I always say you were the perfect example of an Israeli astrologer. It's like, let's get to business. Let's talk it out. And you mean it and you're good at what you, I love it. Yeah, so that's, the, so the name is really, really powerful. So, so tall, which means morning dew. Yeah, your, your job is to water places that otherwise would not see rain. You know what I mean? Hmm. The whole concept of water at the end of the night, night is very feminine. And the end of the night is a very, it's a very interesting period because it's the coldest time. Just before the sun breaks, it's the coldest time. So what you do is you bring moist to places that might not have water otherwise and sometimes rely on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And your water is very democratic because it spreads evenly. It's not like rain that can be one cloud here and the next door, because it's the watershed, it was not going to get any water. You know what I mean? Or the mountains can block. Your kind of water cannot be blocked. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's evenly on all the leaves, on all the animals, on anybody sleeping. It's always going to be the same. It's so funny you say that because I've just been nonstop. It's stupid. Something stupid going on with my daughter. But I keep telling her, I'm like, God, I know I've always been someone who's been about justice. Like everything has to be fair and equal. Mm -hmm. But man, am I feeling it? Like in every meditation, like I'm feeling it. And I'm really trying to work through it of like, I have this thing. Like, so it's funny that you're like, it'll be equal. It's equal. Because yeah, I'm like, oh, I am all about like, it has to be fair. It has to be equal. So it's funny. That but the dark side, because we always have even our names tell us what is our dark side. Okay, great. You know, for example, I always give the example of uh, King David in the Bible. And the King David, David means the beloved. And actually, if you look, the name David comes close to the name love the most of any other character in the Bible. So it's David means the beloved, the one that is loved, but not the lover. 
And if you look at all the times that it mentioned David and love, it never says who David loves. Huh. It only says who loves David, including God, including enemy, including women, including men. The thing is that love was his power to attract people, to seduce people. But he was really confused himself. He never loved anybody in return, which is, is a really interesting thing. He was so busy seducing everybody that he could never actually love. And not only that, at the end with Bacheva, which was his biggest karma issue that he was punished, it was because of an attempt to fall in love with a woman who's already married and killing her husband. Yeah. And then at the end of his life, he can't get hard. Sorry, that's how it says in the Bible. He, he, can't get, he can't get hot. So they went and looked all over the country to get somebody beautiful, Avishag, to bring him, like a maiden, to bring him to the bed. And even she, so beautiful, so young, yeah. couldn't hit him. So all his karma was good and bad with love. For you, maybe you're spreading yourself too thin. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? That's ding, what, ding, ding, that's ding, what you, you would be. You know, so yeah. everybody can look at their name and see their strength. What would be your shadow side? Up name? and down, up and down. <laughs> I love this though. You know. I mean, we, I don't think we've done this workshop here. We should absolutely do yeah. it. I mean, we have so many coming that we're going to talk about it in November actually. But um, I do want to go back to your journey and then we'll continue from there. So yeah, so what happened is that in, a, in a Mexico, by following and surfing synchronicities. But I want to go even earlier. So, because by the way, you've touched on it a few times. I think people are surprised actually that especially growing up in Israel back then, it wasn't always the most religious place. Like you said, it's actually very secular and yeah. it is a strong demand of like excellency, academics, everything you were saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was raised in a very similar family that way, so I totally get it. But those are the things most people would say really go against fostering kind of creativity or spirituality of that sense because it becomes a little bit more academic but it's hilarious because israel has some of the most creative human beings i've ever met yeah i don't i don't think so i think that basically really good scientists really good artists uh, will have to have um, a connection between the left and the right hemisphere for example when they analyzed einstein's brain to see what made him genius it wasn't his left brain that was really strong, language, you know, logic. It wasn't his right side, which was imagination or understanding space. For him to understand space was probably important, you know. But the connection between the corpus callosum, those uh, fab the fiber that connects, the highways that connect the left and the right, the masculine and the feminine, that was really thick and developed in his brain. So to be very good in academy, to be very good as an artist, to be very good at dancing, whatever you want to do, be a good as a mother. You have to have those two aspects. That's really the basis of our workshop, actually, on November 3rd, the masculine and the feminine. But it's not that only developing your masculine if you're feminine or developing your feminine or your masculine. It's actually creating the bridges between the two. But that's so interesting because that does go to what we always try and strive for, which is balance. So it's, it's it's fascinating that it's also balance within In the, brain. the physical brain, too, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. So, which I, I love because you actually, and are there... Are there meditations like you do or things you, or exercises you do to balance or merge those? We'll do it uh, together at the end. It's kind of a guided meditation that really helps you put together your image of feminine, feminine and masculine. Great. Um, so going back, you were a kid. You started having this desire of understanding the cycles at a very young age and trying to understand meaning, like what the meaning was behind everything. So how did those dots connect, though? Like, how did your parents react to that? Were you did they understand I wasn't, you? I wasn't talking about that with them. Um, no, I was at that time I was doing gymnastics and I was focused on that. And then, uh, um, in school, you know, I was keeping it a secret. I was actually writing a history of another dimension 
like 10,000 years of history, very detailed history about kings and queens and prophets and wars and maps and everything. Kind of my own dungeon and dragons. It. Yeah. Okay. Myself. And I uh, locked it in the in the closet. So I was in the closet for a long time. <laughs> I was afraid that uh, if they would find out, they would think I'm crazy uh, as well, you know, with voices and stuff like that. You know, uh, it was too intense and the dreams. So I kept it for myself. I didn't talk about it to anybody. My best friend was this... Uh, girl that we were like the clowns of the school. We make everybody laugh. So uh, we were kind of crazy kids and uh, causing a lot of trouble in school. So nobody suspected that this kid has a really rich imagination that could be bordering, uh, discovering different dimensions and stuff like that. And that was really interesting for me in Kabbalah. When I started studying Kabbalah and astrology, I realized that a lot of the things that I wrote as a kid were actually written before me. So one sense I felt, oh, I'm not crazy. But the other sense, oh, I'm not that original. <laughs> so it was a good Which and bad. one's harder to deal with. Yeah. That's funny. I'm not original, but did you start to feel like, not necessarily as a channel, but did, is that when you started to feel like, oh, but maybe there's, my purpose yeah. is more in here? Because if you were writing it, clearly you knew it, like you were saying yeah. earlier with past lives. It's stuff. definitely, that was made me feel very strongly about past lives. Because part of the stuff I was writing about was past lives. And my mother and father never mentioned it. In Judaism, at least in Israel at that time, it was way before the Kabbalah Center and all those things. Nobody talked about it, you know. Um, it's not like growing up Kabbalah? in um, in the, in uh, Mexico also. That's what I started talking about, how languages opens it up. And I find myself in Mexico and nobody speaks English in Guadalajara. So I have to learn from the street to speak Spanish. The next thing I know, I find myself in a group of people that are studying uh, astrology and Kabbalah. And I didn't have any money, nothing. A family, Israeli family from a kibbutz adopted me there. So I lived for free. And they were writing stuff, stuff on the Hebrew, on the calendar, on the blackboard in Hebrew. And I came after and I said, hey, you know, you can write it like this a little bit better. And they said, okay, you can study for free if you're going to help us with the Hebrew. And I said, okay, that's great. So um, as I started Spanish, I studied astrology and Kabbalah. And then I've realized that when I left Guadalajara, that the Zohar, which is the most important book in Kabbalah, was actually written in Guadalajara, Spain. So it's as if my soul knew that I have to get to Guadalajara. In Guadalajara, you will find Kabbalah. You will find astrology. You'll find the Spanish. But to go today to go to Spain, I don't know if I can find Kabbalah in Spain. So my soul knew it needs to drag me all the way to Mexico and to study that from these people, you know. Can I ask you probably a very dumb question? So, you know, when people process or think things, it's usually like a base language. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you think when you think astrology or stuff, do you think in Hebrew? Do you think in a totally different thing that you can't even no, explain? No, I, or do I you see think it. In Spanish? Okay, that's what I, I was see asking. It. Because astrology is very visual. It's all about signs, symbols. So if you ask me, if you ask me about, oh, I'm a Taurus, or I wouldn't see the word Taurus. I would see the sign for Taurus. You know what I mean? Uh, or I will see your chart. Some people tell me, oh, I know my rising sign is this. So I see the right. Oh, okay, if that's your rising sign, that's the opposite sign is for your relationship. Da, 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 da. Then I can see the chart, the map, you know. So you're in Guadalajara. You start studying this. Yeah, I studied for two years. I created this rock band with uh, my friends. And uh, uh, for two years, I stayed there until I realized that I need to move on. What I made had, you realize um, you had to move on? I landed, I went to Israel for a visit, and then I came back through Los Angeles, which I had one friend from the army. And I said, yeah, I'll stop for a year, and I go to, Guad- to Guadalajara from here. And when I was here, something happened. I don't really know why, but something touched me in Los Angeles really, really strong. It's as if my soul knew that this is, this is a powerful place for me. And I remember I was crying on the way to the airport. And it's not like I met somebody who fell in love in uh, what, I don't know. It's like the city itself, something How here. How long were you here? 
that 10 days, six days. days. No, no, even less. It's less. Four or five days. Yeah. And you were just like hanging out. I was out, just passing by. And you weren't doing anything specific? Nothing. Most of the time I was sleeping. I remember the jet lag was terrible. Right. Oh, it's the worst. And, this uh, way is so it's much the first time. The so for me, it was like a big shock. So I was maybe because of that, I was sleeping a lot and I was maybe in my sleep, I was experiencing the land in different ways, you know? And then I said, and then I was really, I didn't understand why am I so emotional to leave the city, you know? And the crazy thing is that the luggage stayed here for some reason. They made a mistake and the luggage never went to Mexico. And let that happen, I knew, okay, even my luggage is more intelligent than me. (laughs) So I have to find a way to get back to Los Angeles. I don't have a visa. I don't have money. I don't have nothing. I don't know how I'm going to, what am I going to do here? You know? So I said, I'm giving uh, Mexico five more months. If something's going to happen with the band, great. If nothing, I'm packing my stuff and I'm leaving to Los Angeles. And that's what I did. Now, are you close with your family? Were you yeah. close with your family? So always. where are they in all of this? Are they like They're in Los Angeles. Crazy? No, 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 no. They were in uh they always knew that I'm that my path would be different. Um I think my parents would have wanted me to be more of a teacher in a university where it's going to be easy for me. That's how they see it. Like, oh, if you would have done his PhD and be a professor in a university, it would be easier. Uh, people would be more respect for him, but they don't understand that I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, I, the professors come to me in eventually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I get to travel to the places I want to teach. I get to decide what I want to teach. It's not like a dean that tells me you have to teach this. Yeah, now you have freedom. Yeah. And this freedom um, is what I'm striving for, you know. How do you, and again, kind of back to like how your brain works a little bit. Like so now at this point, you've studied Kabbalah, astrology, I mean, everything, psychology, mythology, I'm sure I'm missing a whole slew of stuff. No, I mean, I think that people Past ask lies. me, yeah, people ask me if, um, you know, I study all the time Kabbalah, all the time astrology, but this is not, this is not the way I see it because I see that Kabbalah and astrology are things that describe life. I think you have to just study life. But that's what I was about to ask you. So when you look at anything as mundane as like being sitting here with me or walking down the street, does your brain operate like in a way you're seeing it all in like symbols or? I, I, I think that I derive pleasure from unity. I think a lot of us do uh, without even noticing. I think that's the basis of sex or making love or intimacy, you know, without even touch. It's the concept of union. I think we all strive to become part of that oneness that we knew before we were born and that we will know once we attain nirvana. So I think that embedded in us is the concept of oneness. Even when the egg uh, was there waiting for the sperm to come, or as we know now, choosing the sperm that it wants to come, it's all about union on a cellular level. We all were created out of a union. And then the cells start splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. But the concept of union, I think, is embedded in our DNA. So I derive a lot of pleasure from synchronicities, coincidences. Even the thing that you describe now as goosebumps, we have it all the time and usually in a moment of union. A union of... Uh, oh my God, I was just thinking about you and I see you in the street. It's a union. You know what I mean? All the time now. So those things I look around to. I look for signs. I try not to get too crazy with it, you know, because sometimes people, when they start working with signs, they see everywhere and they become like a little bit lunatic because that's seeing patterns everywhere and then they see conspiracies and then they see (laughs) uh, reptiles and all that. I think that you, you like anything, everything in moderation, you know, it says in the, the Oracle of Delphi was standing between two pillars, know thyself, know the patterns, but also nothing in excess. Even if you do the meditation, not too much. Right. You're doing yoga, not too much. You're eating very healthy. It's something dirty every once in a while. So your body knows how to deal with it, you know. So um, I try to understand patterns. 
I try to, uh, I derive pleasure from synchronicities, coincidences. So it's not like I'm walking in the street looking to see if I should come to the Den meditation to do this or not, because I decided I do and I already said I will. But maybe it will give me a little bit more of an idea of uh, uh, what I should talk about. Or And it's, it's now in a period, like now I think it's in a time that it comes subconscious. I don't even have to think about it so much. It just happens more. Like thoughts just pop in yeah. your head. To you, feel, I mean, I love that because you said from the beginning, as a kid, you started noticing cycle, patterns. cycle, pattern, pattern, cycle. And you're like, what's the meaning? And it feels like you found within the cycle the way to pull pleasure, mm-hmm. which is all the randomness. So what do you say to people who are like, I don't believe in coincidence? They can continue not believing it. <laughs> I love that answer. I've been in Israel for too long to see that you don't tell to people who don't believe to, to believe, believe because that creates a, an antagonism. And really, it just shows that you are not believing enough, that you can't sustain somebody around you that doesn't believe in it. You don't want to believe in coincidence. It's okay. I would tell them it's not a coincidence that you don't believe in coincidence. Do you feel like your beliefs change or do you feel like you've kind of had, like, do you feel like they mold and change as you grow? Or do you feel like, no, you've kind of been on one path and it's it's for you been steady? Hmm. I'm trying to see if I change dramatically the way I see things. I think the concept of reincarnation helped me a lot. I think I always wrote about it when I was a kid, but I always associated it with my craziness. And then when I started, especially in Mexico, to get deeper into it, because I was rather suicidal when I was a teenager. I didn't want, I didn't try to commit, but I had a lot of thoughts, which I'm sure 90% of teenagers have. You know? And why for you? Do you like what was going on for you? The patterns. The, 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 everything is the like same. Everything is the same. Everything is the same. Um, and just too much stuff inside my head. It's like, I couldn't process. It's like a computer that freezes because there's too much processing, you know, too much downloads. And, um, and you know, there's other stuff that was happening where like everybody has, but when I started learning really about reincarnation and really understanding it, I've realized, oh my God, I can't commit suicide because I'm going to come back again to the same situation, the same people, and it's going to happen again. And who knows? Maybe I've committed suicide already 10 times as Gal. And I'm in this loop. And I'm stuck in this loop. And I have to pass it. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, I can't really escape. So I might as well stay here until the end. So it didn't really change my attitude. It, It didn't really change something I believed, but something I always believed clicked in a very practical way to help me deal with pain and suffering. Sorry for the interruption, but I think you guys are going to like this. If you haven't heard already, we're actually going to do Den Talks live. Our first one is November 10th. It's with Marianne Williamson. Now, look, we already actually announced this a couple of weeks ago on our closed Facebook group. So tickets have already been sold. So if you want a ticket, go now, get on the website, buy one. She's amazing. It's going to be incredible. It's the same format we do here, a deep one-on-one conversation, meditation, four use. The good news, if you're there, we're also going to do a Q&A. So hope to see you there. How did you learn about reincarnation? How did it come to you? It first came to me as a kid. It's uh, It came as a kid and I, I could tell, and characters in my own history that I wrote, who is the reincarnation of who and why are they connected, even if this one is a man and this one is a woman. And so it was a fascinating thing for me to, to connect characters into one thread of souls in a way. Uh, I think that that's kind of what Jung talked about or Plato even talked about as archetypes, you know. Um, and then when I was, I think, in Mexico, when I was studying a lot about Kabbalah and astrology, and especially Kabbalah, and I've realized that it's 
embedded in Kabbalah, the concept of reincarnation. And here are other people who really believe it because I grew up in Israel. It's not like I grew up in India or in a Buddhist uh, household. So for me to see other people who are really respected believe in reincarnation was a big deal. And then we did in Mexico with my uh, group there that I studied with, we did a past lifetime regression to me in a very ritualistic way, you know, like with the people around and and all focusing on you to do the regression. And that was intense. So what what did you find in that regression? They are, they're a special group that deal a lot with Atlantis. So they went all the way to bring me to Atlantis. And I wasn't really sure if I believe, I don't believe, I don't know. And it was really crazy because I told them, please give me some drugs, give me some peyote, something, because I'm thinking too much. And they told me, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. And that time I, it was really crazy because I started feeling like I'm drunk and I don't drink, but I felt like everything is moving around and turning and turning. And I felt like a leaf falling from the tree. That was a really big image of, of like an imagery that I felt. And then when I landed, I was a different person. I remember I was happy. For the first time in my life, I was super happy. No waves, no nothing. And then I realized I'm a different person. And I got into this character. He was a super handsome, young not the most intelligent, to be honest, because <laughs> I remember I didn't have any thoughts that are deep. I was just super cool guy. Like, not that there's anybody, not the wrong surfers. I'm not saying the surfers are stupid, but I'm right. saying I That's had the vibe of a, of a surfer, you know, like I only surf, I don't care about anything else. And again, I'm not saying that these are surfers, but I, that's the image that I had in my head. Like somebody really cute, really good, really nice guy, but don't ask him too much yeah, uh, heavy simple. questions. Very simple. That's what I would say. Simple. And I told them, hey, I'm really sorry. You, I landed in a very simple guy. I don't know any, if you have any questions that are profound, I don't have. No, no, don't worry, just walk. Okay, I'm walking in the paths. And I started describing the houses and they write everything, like the gray people and the white people and there are different races there. And then suddenly I get myself into this little, like even like small room like this. And there was an older dude there and I knew that his name was the moon. And suddenly I realized I'm the sun and he was around big spheres. And all these spheres were like contained information. And I knew that he was the channel of information, like the library of the whole area. And he sustained the area. And apparently he liked me a lot because I was so simple that he could just sit there and enjoy himself without everybody asking him very profound questions about what is this? What about that? I was just there and I was just chatting with him. So I used to come and visit him once a day. And they kind That's of like knew. That's such a lovely gift to give someone. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And then I was sitting with him and then I forgot everything because I think they started using me to talk to him directly because I think I wasn't the, the big, <laughs> I wasn't the big shot. Right. The other guy was the big shot. So I forgot. And then I woke up and I said, wow, I have munchies. I have to eat. And they said, it's very typical. And they wrote everything and they never showed it to me. That's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. I'm obsessed with like Atlanta's Lemuria, like all that stuff. Like I could get lost in it. I, I mean, Nicole always makes fun of me for sitting there because I love it. But that's amazing. And so then that made you a believer. I mean, you already believe. Like, I already believe. Like- I think that if I wouldn't believe, I, I don't know if I would be able to let them take this process. It's almost as if it's hard. Uh, you know how Jesus always said, you believe in me before he actually treated uh, people and I had a, a a person come to me a few days ago, and she had she had an amazing experience with a doctor. Um, he told her, "I will fix you." She had a real bad problem with his body, and nobody could fix her here in Cedar Sinai. It was, and he asked her two things: "Do you believe in me?" Yeah. Do you believe I can heal you? Yeah. Let's go do the surgery now. And it was amazing because it's the same question that Jesus asked. That and it's, it says so much. Like what mm-hmm. just the process of thought will also of course. do. 
That's incredible. And so you're doing past life regressions. You're now perfecting like how to do charts. Was that actually something harder to just come supernatural for you? No, it's something that you have to, uh, you have to work on. It's a language. So yeah, people pick up a language fast, but it doesn't mean that they can't, they don't have to rehearse it. So you have to, and I was lucky enough to get into astrology right at the time when they started having the basic programs for astrology. It was literally basic. Yeah. So it just gave you a list, a computer kind of like, you know, in the 80s, it was 90, 91, 92. No, when was it? 95. It gave you like a, a list of where the planets are and what sign. And you have to take a circle and draw it and start drawing all the things and put it. You didn't have to calculate. The computer did it, but you had to put all the planets to have it. So I could see the whole progress of that until today when we have programs that just tuck, 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 can you put everything in a slide? Do you now, do you feel like these programs and new ones that kind of spit everything out helps the process or hurts the process? Do you feel like... I think it's the right process now. I think in the past it wasn't. That's why it wasn't available. And now I think it is. People don't have time and energy in our day <laughs> to sit until the astrology finish, astrologer finishes calculated everything. And most likely he's going to make a minus instead of plus and everything is wrong. Right. Because it happened a lot in the past. Wow. So that's why you think people like Kepler and Newton and Galileo, they were astrologers, but they were mathematicians. There is a lot of, uh, say, a lot of people, I read a book about it, that Newton actually went to mathematics in order to be a better astrologer. Huh. What do you say about, like, when you read someone's chart, how much of it do you feel like, like, what's a part of free will versus chart? I think it's the, the same. Balance? I think it's, I always give the example, because we're here in Hollywood, that um, the chart is like a script. It's written before. Even the Sufis say maktub. Maktub means it is written. So literally, your script, uh, to be or not to be, is written. I don't remember what act it is. And, but the monologue is there. You go to Hamlet, you know that eventually there will be to be or not to be. And then you'll see how good the actor of Hamlet is. So what is the difference between one actor who's reading the same chart, the same script, who's getting an Oscar and getting $2 million for the role, to another person who is uh, booed out of the uh, stage and you fall asleep in the middle. It's the same script. It's the same chart. It's to be or not to be. That's it. But the choices that the actor makes and the free will that she uses to deliver the lines is what's going to make her an amazing actress or not so amazing. So people are born with the same chart, twins or two people in the hospital at the same time. One will be a Nobel uh, Prize winner. The other one will be, I don't know what. You know, not as significant. Why? Because the choices they made with the chart that they received. So I believe it's a marriage between the two. And how do you recommend your clients use charts? Like, do you find some people rely on it way too much and yeah. then they get stuck in if, their own um, The kind of astrology that I also do is not, not causes too much dependency. And also, I don't let people come regularly. There were people who at the beginning of my work tried to do retainer that they can call me whenever they want in a right. month and I never went for it. And again, it's my need for freedom, you know. But I don't let people come too often, once every six months, once a year is usually what I recommend. Um, but, you know, I don't get paranoid with uh, uh, astrology. I travel in Mercury retrograde. I have to sometimes do things on uh, Mars retrograde or anything. You know, I had to deal with a breakup that was very emotional. And I warned everybody, even in my book on 2018, because I publish a book on astrology every year. Actually, today I published a new one for 2018. Ooh, it's well, on, let's uh, pick your brain on that. It's on, it's on Amazon. Everybody can see it. Um, and I warned everybody in my last book, the most intense months are going to be July and August. It's the eclipses. It's Mars retrograde. It's Mercury retrograde. Be careful of breakups. Da, 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 da. What happened to me? Breakup. Now, mm. were you, it's funny because you were warning people. Did you have any inkling it was going to happen to you? No. So it surprised you. Yeah. 
Because a lot of time, you know how they say a cobbler walks barefoot? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much in astrology, the last thing you want is constantly look at your own chart. You know? Right. And also, certain things must happen. So after your breakup, did you go back and look at your chart or no? Were you like, it happened, no point? No, because I know my chart and I knew and no, I tried to understand it a little bit more. Because a lot of time what I do is not only for myself, because I do, a, a, I mean, astrology is one of these professions, unlike maybe uh, pop, pop singers, is that as you get older, it's better because you experience more cycles. Right. So now after my, cycle, my Saturn return, I know what it means, Saturn return. Now after I had uh, a breakup, I know what the breakup means and where to look at it. So a lot of time when things happen to me, I look at the chart to understand better, not what's happening to me, but how astrology works. And it's funny because you intimated earlier before we started rolling that you, um, this was like a really emotional one for you. It was harder. Mm -hmm. And in some ways you're really grateful because you feel like you have a little bit more understanding or compassion. Of course. For your clients when they come in the door and they're all. Yeah. Emotional. Emotional. (laughs) Yeah. Because before that I was like, okay, you broke up. Okay. It's not a death. It's not cancer. What's the big deal? And now you get it all. And now now, I can be, oh my God, are you okay? Did you do this? Did it happen to you? Did you think about this all the time? Yeah, how do you know? (laughs) Uh. So it's helpful. Did you, now do you read before you start dating someone? Like with your partner? Do you read their charts? It's funny because my partner is adopted. So they never knew the date of birth. They never knew the time of birth or nothing. So it was a kind of a practical joke that I could not see. It's like the mask. Again, that was necessary for me. So I can be more in the moment instead of um, Have you read in the past before you started dating no. someone? No. I really believe in souls. And I respect the soul that decides to be born in a specific time, in a specific place. That's why when people come for a compatibility chart, I never tell them if they should be together or not. Some astrologers do it, especially in Vedic astrology. It's very popular. I wouldn't take that responsibility. Because if a soul decided to be born in a certain time, you know, and it's the same soul of somebody that you're supposed to be with, and it's closed in a certain way. It's almost like, I'm not going to date her because she's wearing her bra too low. No, it actually fell. And it, she didn't have any bras. I should think her mother's bra. And that's why it looks like that. Don't judge her because of the bra. Right. So don't judge somebody because they're an Aries and not a uh, Taurus. And you're always like ter- Taurus. You know what I mean? Yeah. People do that though. Yeah. And go crazy with it. I always find that crazy too. Because I'm like, I've never, ever judged anyone by like their date of birth. Yeah. I mean, you can learn about I mean, them, but not judge. Don't get me wrong. Later, I'm always like, so what does it mean yeah. for us? It's yeah, fun, you can but... learn a lot, but you don't you don't make ultimate decisions about that. Also, a little bit what you said before, too. It's if everyone's given a chart, but then it is all about how that soul plays the part of, of that chart, then you couldn't really make the decision solely by the chart anyway, because you're talking about two souls playing two different parts, mm-hmm. different ways, and you don't know how either of them are actually going to play it, correct? Yeah. Like, the chart doesn't tell you how you're going to play it. It just gives you, like you said, the script. Yeah, it gives you the chart. It doesn't know how you're going to drive. It's up to you how to drive. You know, Google tells you the fastest route, but it doesn't mean that you have to use it. Right. You can if look anything, at it. anything, I don't. Like, we were just in the Berkshires, and I was like, we got to go analog because I want some of these back roads. And, like, mm-hmm. they won't give you the back roads. Like, you actually have to, like, take a map out and be like, oh, we can go from here to here to here. Yeah. And it was lovely. It was, like, so nice. And I'm like, nobody does this anymore. It's so nice to take a map out and, like, come up with your own route because those roads look like they might be fun. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but nobody does it. So can you, like something we were talking about earlier, is it possible, does like the universe have a chart? Does the United States have a chart? Yeah, United States definitely have a chart. California is a little bit tougher because it wasn't declared in a sense. You can go back to maybe when it was uh, purchased, if it was purchased, I don't remember, or taken. But United States, of course, it's a cancer, you know, and uh, um, 
in certain countries are very tough to make a chart for, like England, for example. Israel has a chart specifically, and it has a terrible chart. There was just an article about it in an Israeli newspaper about how there was an astrologer who sent countless letters to the committee that about to declare the state with alternative dates. dates that will avoid war because in the chart of United of Israel, there is a very active Mars. Oh my God, that is so fascinating. Yeah. And my suggestion, because of the power of name, and now it's a stupid suggestion because it's too late, is not to call Israel Israel, but to call it Judea. Because first of all, there's no connection between Israel and the Israelites because the 12 tribes that were called Israel disappeared in 722 BC. Right. Uh, the, the ones that are Jews today are called Jews because they come from Judea which was the backward uh, tribe that nobody wanted to conquer because it wasn't that significant, you know? Right. So it is much better to call Israel Judea because Judea is neutral, you know? Israel has in the name war because so- Yeshal means straight angle and it also means confrontation and it means war. So to have uh, the word war in the name Israel is a problem. And also if you look at the Bible and if you believe in the prophets, uh, Jerusalem, the capital, the city of David, was cursed by the prophet Nathan, who said to David, because he fell in love with the woman who was married and killed his husband, that the sword will never leave your city. And Jerusalem is the city of David. So Jer- there is an energetic sword. If you go to Jerusalem, you look up in the skies and you're psychic, you'll see that the sword is still up there. Even now they're talking about splitting the city, but we're never going to split it. But there is walls in the middle of the city. There is East Jerusalem, there is West Jerusalem, there is stabbing, there is daggers, there is, it's, it's terrible. Right. So you have an Israel name that has war and the capital has a sword hanging out of, above it, you know. And even if it's not all nonsense, all of the people that are so obsessed about Jerusalem is because of the Bible. And if they read the Bible, they see that their sword is there. Right. So it's kind of a mythological loop. Right. You know? Oh my God. Yeah, so it's kind of tough. And that's so interesting. That I, I know, I mean, of course I wouldn't know that, but it's amazing that people are actually trying to get the date of declaration changed even back then. That's what they did in the United States because the United States had very strong free uh, Masons influence. So Franklin was an astrologer. He was an amazing guy. He was a scientist and he was an astrologer, Benjamin Franklin. And he, they, they believe that he constructed the chart to have the, enough strength to fight off the most powerful empire on the, the planet I've ever known since the Roman times, the British Empire and to declare independence in the right time. So that was a very specific choice. Yeah. I just got chills again. Yeah, it's a very Holy specific Holy shit, choice. history lessons from a whole new angle. I mean, can we write that book? You should honestly do a book of like every major moment and like if there were, A, if there were charts involved or if there weren't, what the chart says. And For how example, uh, we know, and there should be a book out there now, but we know that the British uh, in World War II was feeding astrologers of Hitler because Hitler was using astrologers. Right. False birth dates of generals in England fighting wars in France so they can look at their false chart and decide which days they're vulnerable in order to attack them. That's what the Germans would do. So in order for them to have false information and to know, because they have uh, the English had their own astrologers, and tell them, yeah, yeah, they're probably going to think that the best time to attack this general who is British is when Saturn is on top of his Mars. But we're not going to tell him when real Saturn is on top of his Mars. We're going to make a fake Saturn right. on top of his Mars. They're going to attack on this date. We know it. So then they could counter it. So they used astrology as counter as really yeah. strong. So that, oh my God. I yeah. love it. It was like an astro- astrological war. It was like two sides. World War II was a war on all levels. There were also witches that were hired. Really? Yeah, especially in England. On both sides? No, especially England. Yeah. That's incredible. 
But it also, it's so fascinating because it's so interesting that, I mean, look, we're in a world where nobody doubts it, us. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, people are still like, oh, it's nonsense. It's, you know, why believe that? But to think it's been around, A, as long as it's been around, and B, even used in all of these instances, is, it's really fascinating. Yeah, there is a great book called Fated uh, Skies that I really recommend for people who are don't necessarily believe, but open, agnostics in a sense. Yeah. Um, um, not gnostics. Um, how do you call it when you believe? Not atheists, but um, it slipped my mind. Um, but it's a great book also to give as a gift for a husband, let's say, who doesn't believe or a wife who doesn't believe. And it's an historian from Columbia University that basically collected a lot of astrological uh, forecasts from all over the centuries and that they were already um, published and already kind of uh, proven and to see what happened after that. It's amazing amazing. to see it coming from an historian. We'll get the name and we'll put it on our website so Mm -hmm. that there's a link for it. So what are, so you just wrote your book for 2019. What are some of the things we got to... 2019 is interesting because it's the year that I believe you give birth to your true self. Because first, 2017 was the seed, 2018 uh, gestation. Uh, that's when we were pregnant. And 2013 is when we give birth to our inner child. 19. And 2019. <laughs> and 2019 is also a year when we have um, five eclipses, which is very rare. But we have no retrograde except Mercury retrograde. So the year is going to go really, really fast. And the thing is that the eclipses are shifting into Cancer. So it's a little bit tricky because last time the eclipses were in Cancer, we had the 9-11. Because don't forget that Cancer is the sign of the United States. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a lot of movement January, July, and December. But I think that in February, we're going to do a class on 2019 here. Amazing. And, I mean, that's um, it's, there's so much. Yeah, because before that, we, yeah, we, we're we going to do the class here on this on November 1st, on the Day of the Dead. Yeah, this, I'm so excited. That. Let's talk about some of this stuff, because I do also want to talk about, so November 1st, Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead, we're going to do the past, past lifetime regression. regression and talk about death and how it and dealt with different... it's on like the best day. It's the perfect yeah. time to do Especially it. Especially during Scorpio, because Scorpio is the sign of death. So it's, it's good. We, we usually try to do the regressions during Scorpio. Um, and three days after, or the 3rd of November, we're going to do a very interesting workshop with my friend Bianca Zapetto, who has been in Cirque du Soleil, and she choreographs, and she worked with a lot of artists on movement, and she's doing my, the workshop with me on Kabbalah and SLN. So we decided to do something here, and it's going to be about balancing your masculine and feminine energies. We call it the mythologies of gender and sex, because now we're in an age where the young people, the young generation, don't want to be already classified as masculine or feminine or as men as women. And we're talking about a, a generation, which is really interesting because the age of Aquarius, which is what we're entering now, yeah. is the age of assimilation, that there is no fire and water, but fire and water are assimilated together. No masculine and feminine, but they're combined. So we're going to talk about myths and stories that have to do with what is being a man, what does it mean being a man, what does it mean being a woman. And then we're going to have exercise designed to kind of put them together, you know, the masculine and the feminine, to try to balance them. Right. It goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, that you'll be better at everything you choose to do if you are more balanced. Yeah. But it's also so interesting just understanding gender stereotypes and where they come from and why we have them. And they're still there. I mean, we've made so many forward Again, we made a lot of process because we are entering the age of Aquarius, which is the age of assimilation. From 1962 is the official time that we started entering that age. Um, but you, but part of what we're going to talk about is the workshop is that for me, I was looking for the core of what is masculine and feminine. And I think it's the hormones, the sex hormones, the estrogen and the testosterone that we have to look at what these two 
molecules are doing, they're kind of small. They're only 21 uh, carbon or atoms, you know. And the only difference between estrogen and testosterone is one carbon atom. One atom. Oh, my God. One atom is the only difference. Right, this is abusing this one, and this one is going to be nominated, and this one is the victim. It's one little uh, atom difference. So it's so close, but so different. So I'm trying to see from the, the effect of testosterone and estrogen, what is biologically speaking masculine and feminine before we get into social and, you know, constructs and all that kind of stuff and oppression and, and dominating uh, um, cultures and, and everything that has to do with that. And it's interesting to see that, yes, equality doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be the same. There are differences what mm-hmm. testosterone does to our body. And the fascinating thing, we always talked about in mythology and stories how everybody has masculine and feminine inside. And now we know definitely that everybody, every woman has testosterone and estrogen and every man has testosterone and estrogen. We do have those two, but in different proportions and we manufacture it differently and at different times and it affects us differently. So we're going to start talking about the molecules and end with mythologies and try to understand how to balance those. Do you see like and maybe you actually see, do you see like a future? And I mean like future, future. We're like, we look different. We're more androgynous that way. I think we're going to turn more towards that. I mean, that's interesting. The same thing that's happening now. I mean, do you see the future of the United States? How people would look? Would they be white? No. That would be totally Would they be black? No. Would they be brown? Depends what you call brown. What color of the eyes will be? You know, before when you closed your eyes, and I remember growing up in uh, Israel, you close your eyes and you tell an Israeli guy, American. You close your eyes, you'll probably be somebody white, blonde, or maybe, you know, a little bit of black hair, gray, blue eyes, something. That was our vision of American. But since then, so much things are changing. So same thing in Israel. I was going to say Israel looks same. completely different now, too, so than from when I grew up. And Eventually, yeah. the global um, a village, the oneness, I'm not saying that everybody's going to look the same, but the genes are going to start to mingle, which is great because genetics have gifts inside of them. And we know already from purebred dogs, they always have problems in the hips yes. or problems in here and problems in there. They die. They're crazy. And what are the biggest, strongest dogs? They are the hybrids, you know, the mutts. And that's what we're going to turn into, a mutt between masculine and feminine and a mutt between all the cultures. I mean, that's it's really interesting to see how we could start being so distinct and how it is just taking us back into, to unity. Back to unity. So back to your comment about unity, when you say that's what we all crave. What do you say to those people who kind of are recluse or really or intro very introverted or, or you know they're the type who kind of lock they're, themselves in the room and they're connecting to themselves that depends if they lock themselves up in the room and watch to watch tv they have a union with the characters on tv right and they are just lazy right if they lock themselves inside and they try to figure out who they are they write they do different things they just do everything that others do but they do it with themselves maybe they are about finding unity with themselves that also is necessary, right? You know, um, as long as they're doing the work, they can do it by themselves. They can do it alone, but as long as they're doing the work, if they're isolating themselves and not doing anything, it's also the same thing with hanging out with like three dudes in uh, uh, drinking beer and watching football, and you're fat and you're not even moving, and the other <laughs> people in the in the TV are running for you. You know what I mean? Right. So you're social, but it's not union. You know. There's like a disconnect. Yeah. What can you see happiness in a chart? Um, it's a little bit tougher because I think that happiness is a choice. Yeah, of course, there's a lot of chemicals that are involved, 
But ultimately, uh, to define yourself as happy is such an objective um, thing. So are you happy? Such a subjective thing, sorry. So it makes, it's like really up to you. you are know? you happy? I think I'm like my name. I go up and down. I don't get really sad unless something terrible happens, but I... Uh, I think I go up and down. So from the days of, you know, being the kid who had suicidal thoughts. No, it's much better. Thank the Lord. When do you feel like it really shifted for you? Just when you made that choice? Because you said I you think, made a choice. I think that uh, Mexico made a lot of difference. Before Mexico is one and after Mexico is the after. Which is also Saturn return. So I think that a lot of people change between 27 to 31. And That's that when one? their Saturn return is happening. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. I feel like everyone goes a little batshit crazy by mm -hmm. mid-20s. And they're like, what's wrong with me? I'm so depressed. And I'm always like, it's just the time. Everyone does yeah. it. Even if you have your shit together, you go through it. Like For every time and everything, there is a season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should sing. <laughs> yeah. um, what? And then I have one more question. Well, let's do your four U's, actually, really quickly. Um, favorite book? Favorite book. There's so many of them. I think that... Um, one of my favorite books is the Bible. Not that I believe that God wrote it, but I think it's it has so many stories that I really, really love. So I would say that probably my favorite book is the Bible. What's an inspirational teacher for you? My spiritual teacher is David Bowie by far. Really? Yeah, by far. The second is Joseph Campbell. Talk a, bit, a little bit about David Bowie. Bowie saved me because when I was really, really bad, um, I discovered Bowie. And the first time I heard his song, I almost puked. Not from disgust, but because the effect chemically on my body was so intense, I didn't know that sound um, can affect your body so much. You know, I'm sure that some people feel it with mantras or with other things, but for me, a Bowie's voice opened something very, very powerful in me, and um, especially his lyrics. If people are interested, songs like "Rock and Roll Suicide," funny enough. At the end of the song, he's like, it's like a Jesus uh, song. He basically says, uh, "Give me your pain." You know, I'll take it with me. You're not alone. It's wow. it's uh, it's amazing lyrics, and he was an amazing character. Do you like meditate to him? Like, is there? Do you use no. him still in any? I don't meditate about it. I mean, I mean, meditating to his song is kind of yeah. It's almost <laughs> but I, I meant like, do you still but use I, it in some? Yeah, because I can. If I'm really sad, for example, when I was in the summer and there was a big breakup and all that, eh, I had to play songs to start crying, and the crying helps. You to know get, what I mean? Yeah, to release. Yeah, because I felt that he he was with me. Also, when he died. Um, it was one of the hardest deaths I think I've ever experienced in this life. I was in England, funny enough. Uh, I was in London doing uh, classes and teaching, and I heard that he died. So I, I had the, I had the great ability to go to his where he was born, and there were thousands of people in the street. They blocked the whole Brixton was whole blocked, and people were crying and people were singing a song and they were making a wall with you could put things. So I put a CD with the music I made because you know in his honor it was very very um, intense. Wow. What's the type of meditation you rely on the most? I think that for me is, um, I like the meditations where you do a lot of imagery and you imagine things, maybe because my mind is really active. You know, well, I'll ask you this question after, as if we'll finish the four years. Last one, current obsession. Now I'm really focused on the testosterone and <laughs> estrogen. I get it, though. It's, uh, it's fascinating. There was this, I, I was what just sparked today. What for you? Was there something? The, like I wanted to understand what the difference between masculine and feminine, because I was reading one book by feminist uh, that was saying everything is nonsense. There is no difference between men and women. It's only the cultural thing. Men and women are the same. Um, the whole hunting and gathering is nonsense. They just invented it. And I was, okay, I believe you. And then I was thinking, wait, I don't believe you. I want to see what the biology is. 
And even in biology, it's true. You can see some people who are feminist will discover one thing and people who are just studying it will discover another. But still, there is objecti- more objectivity around the hormones. So I wanted to go to the lowest point and then start climbing up there and see if some mythologies actually support that. So right now I'm really obsessed with uh, testosterone levels and estrogen. (laughs) I love that. So you've mentioned this a few times, and it's funny because I wanted to talk to you about this before anyway, that your mind's really active. Mm -hmm. And it's clear. I mean, you you also just, it's it's amazing what you pull from the universe. I feel like it's probably active being present, but it's probably getting tons of downloads all the time too. What do you do about that? How do you, I know everyone's like, you meditate to calm a mind, but that can be really tough when you have a brain like that. For me, meditations cannot happen if I don't do physical activity. So if I only meditate, I, it wouldn't help. The only thing that I think that is very constant, even when I travel, it doesn't matter if it's in Istanbul, if it's in Hong Kong, if it's in London, if it's in Madrid, if it's in Zurich, it doesn't matter where I am. I know where I'm going to do my cardio or what kind of cardio I'm going to do. I know that I do also jujitsu, so I'll know if there's a school of jujitsu, you know, that I could do, I could train. I need to be very physical, you know, maybe because I'm in Aries, but... I need to get that energy out and then I can meditate. That's why I recommend for people who are beginning in meditation and they're, you know, especially for men, it really works because they they find it a little bit harder maybe Uh, because a lot of women do yoga and in yoga, you already have an entrance to meditation. Uh, Men that refrain from that, I tell them, okay, you go and run. Yeah, go on a run. And at the end of the run, sit down. doesn't have to be cross-legged. Sit down on a chair even. Connect to your breath (laughs) because slow your breath and meditate. And that would work, even though it's anti-meditation because the heart is going like this, but their mind is so now, they're less active that they can meditate. Also, I think there's something about feeling your heartbeat that can Mm -hmm. really help people because it is about kind of, like you said, falling into yourself and unity with yourself. So I feel like a heartbeat could actually really be helpful. Yeah. How, um, if you could give one piece of life advice, I mean, you have all these people who walk in your door, you give so many lectures, you talk about it all. What would your... One piece of a life advice. Um, don't take things personally. It's nothing to do with you. Ever. Mm. Now, that's an amazing piece of advice. Now, not an easy one for a lot of people to take. No, it's almost impossible. If you can take it really seriously and you really believe in it, your ego disappears and you get enlightened. I mean, that's what the Buddha did. Yeah. And it, it is amazing when you do start. It's funny. I was at, a, this is such a small example of it, but I, I, was, I was doing a training myself and we were trying to help someone find somewhere to sit. And I guess I didn't even realize it, that the teacher had like kind of yelled at us. The teacher was like, stop talking or something. I always get in trouble. So I don't even pay attention anymore. And the girl sitting next to me actually has had kind of an issue with that. Loves that teacher, but has had an issue of feeling like she's getting called out a lot. She was like, did you hear it? We just got yelled at. I'm like, we did. I didn't even hear it. Like, I didn't even hear it. She's like, but she yelled at us for this. I'm like, ah, who cares? Like, that was literally my thing. I'm like, ah, she's probably annoyed if we were talking it annoyed her, even though she's like, but we were doing a good thing. I'm like, but we know we were doing a good thing. So let it go. Like, it was funny. And it was really amazing. I thought about it a lot because I'm like, years ago, that would have really upset me too. Of like, oh, I'm getting blamed for something I didn't do and blah, blah, blah. Now they don't like me. And I was like, Ah, who cares? I'm sure it did annoy them and they have every right to be annoyed if they wanted to be annoyed. And like, I know I didn't mean any malintent. So call it a day. And it was lovely. It was easy, but it was hilarious to see the difference. It was like two of us taking it very differently. And that's like a very small way of not taking something personally. We can go, obviously it's a lot harder when people are mean or rude or breaking up with you or, you know, getting fired. Like we started this conversation with, but you're right. If you had the ability to kind of step back in some of these really bigger moments, 
like even your breakup, which I know you can speak to, they usually are. I always say it's usually the universe's way of like kind of kicking you in the ass because you were just in the wrong, like you were just going down the wrong way or it's an opportunity to open up a door you were not, you didn't even know was there. It's true. Yeah. And that song, where is it? It's Lodger, I think. Uh, it's got nothing to do with you if one can grasp it. It's got nothing to yeah. do with you if one can grasp it. I love A that. series of shocks. Boom. Stickers fall apart. Yeah, it's Bowie. But I think it's from Lodger. But I love that because if we all, I mean, there's so much you gave us in this episode. It's ridiculous. But if there's one thing to take away, it's like take a beat next time you feel like offended or upset or hurt and try and say that to yourself. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I say it all the time to myself. It doesn't really work. But yeah, you should definitely say (laughs) it. I mean, it is hard. Does it help you at all? Like when you were going through your breakup? It helps. Did you? And you're someone who has No, in my breakup, I didn't. I, I was really personal. I took it very. Oh no, I didn't take it personally. It just, just like hurt. it's some. It hurt. I was focused on the pain. Um, but in certain situations, I try to do it. I try to remind myself. You, know? you also have to feel pain too, don't you think? Like of course, I feel everybody like, has to. Yeah, I feel like you have to like. Process. There is no compassion without suffering. That's yeah. even the Dalai Lama said. Yeah, and I feel like you wouldn't. You have to go through those things to just, like you said, have compassion, even understand what it means. I mean, that's what the whole universe is up and down. I mean, if they're all wa- the universe is a wave. That's true. It's a gall. This has been so stimulating. I want to have you back. There's so many things I want to talk about. Names alone. we have Now we have so many workshops in the future besides the ones we're doing. Yeah, when I'm back in February, we'll, we'll do definitely do the 2019. And then in the spring, we'll probably do something about names. But in the meantime, you guys, go register now. They're both on our website because it's November 1st, Past Life Regression. And then Gender is on November 3rd. And then he's gone. He leaves the country for a while and he's traveling a ton. So this is really your last chance to kind of get him. And then we'll get him back here in February. But thank you. I appreciate it. And everybody, don't forget to stay for his personal practice, which will be a five-minute guided meditation. It's going to balance the masculine and feminine aspects of ourselves like we've been talking about this whole time. And it'll give you a little teaser for the workshop. And please subscribe if you haven't already. And always feel free to write a review. Helps us. And if you want to talk more about this stuff, we'll have some tidbits on our closed Facebook page. So look us up on Facebook too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so now Gal's going to lead us in his five-minute guided meditation to balance the masculine and feminine. So I recommend that you sit in a comfortable position, or if you prefer to lie down, you can sit on a chair, on the floor. And of course, you close your eyes and you breathe deeper and deeper. Try to breathe through your nose, using your stomach as a pump, not your lungs, not your chest. Really breathe in and out, calming yourself, slowing your thoughts, slowing your breath, slowing your heart, getting to this place of absolute peace and tranquility. You're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing. You're basically going to use your power of imagination to travel without movement. You take a deep breath and you imagine yourself drawing a golden circle around you, creating the space, the sacred space where you are sitting or lying down, creating the boundaries that allow you to go beyond anything that is bound. 
the purpose of this meditation is to balance your feminine and masculine side. And for this reason, we first have to connect to oneness. And I want you to now imagine in the center of the universe, the center of the cosmos, this mathematical point where everything originated from, the place where the Big Bang happened, the place that all the galaxies orbit around. And imagine from that point a beautiful ray of bright light travels faster than the speed of light and the speed of thought, the speed of imagination, all the way from that point to the crown of your head. Imagine how that light descends down to your third eye, to your throat, to your heart, solar plexus, your sexual organs, and all the way down to your feet. And it goes still deeper and deeper into the center of the earth so that you feel these lines is connecting the above and the below, the divine and the mundane, and it grounds you and yet extends your potential to the origin of creation. And now I want you to imagine how far, far to the left of you, far, 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 you see this point of bright light that also is traveling faster than the speed of light, speed of imagination, speed of spirit. And as it comes closer, you see that it's forging and forming and morphing itself into this beautiful feminine version of you. If you are a woman, then the best version of who you are, who you can be. If you're a man, imagine your feminine side, how you would look as a woman. It looks just like you, but more with feminine features. Comes closer and closer to your left side. It looks almost like an angelic being, but very similar to you. Same eyes. And imagine how that feminine, beautiful, angelic being is touching you, your left shoulder. You feel this touch and this bright light coming into your body, feeling your left side, including your heart, with this bright, cleansing, wet, feminine energy. Healing you on a cellular level, connecting you to reception, to magic, to infinite possibilities, to abundance, to health. Grounding you, allowing you to go deeper and deeper. And now far, far from the right side, same thing happens. You see this bright light travels faster than the speed of light. As it comes closer, you see that it's forming itself as your masculine side. If you're a man, it looks like you, but in your best day or best potential. If it's a woman, it looks like the masculine version of you. Still same eyes. 
and he comes closer to you, this angelic being, touches you on the right shoulder, and you feel this warm light coming into your right side, healing your liver, making you feel connected to your power of initiation, movement, action, conquest. And now you feel how this moist, feminine energy from your left starting to move towards the right and the warm, masculine side is moving into the left, creating this union that is very strong in a few points in your body. You feel it in the crown, which is your corpus callosum, the connection between your right and the left hemisphere. You feel it in your third eye as the masculine and feminine minds mix themselves and connect to this harmony and balance. You feel it in your throat. You feel it in your heart, which has four chambers. Two for feminine elements of water and earth and two for masculine element, fire and air. You feel how all of these parts of the heart are starting to mix and balance, and you feel how this balance between the masculine and feminine also affects your solar plexus, your sexual organs, and the tip of your spine all the way down also to your feet. And you allow yourself a few moments of this connection between fire and water, masculine and feminine, right and left, above and below. As you hear this ancient chant from Kabbalah, just focus on your breath. Take a deep, deep breath and hold it as long as you can, assimilating into every cell of your body, action and reception, giving and receiving, above and below, 
yin and yang, conscious and subconscious, logic and reason. And know that forever these two aspects of you are in balance, dancing this beautiful dance inside of you, giving you a healthy, prosperous life. And when you feel ready, you can open that circle of gold and slowly come back to the here and now and this place. Then Talks is produced by Michael Burke, Mike Burns, Reem Edon, Nicole Rappi, and music by Alex Fetter. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.